Well, hello again, everybody. Rick Wagner here, getting it right on KNZZ, KGLN, all of West Colored Eastern Utah. We appreciate your listenership, of course. I always like to say that. We're at 1192.7 on KNZZ and uh, 980 and 101.3 on KGLN and all over the Internet and uh, other places. And, of course, podcasts, which you can download from a lot of places. Uh, you can ask for it on your uh, Amazon device if you have one, or you can uh, go to our website at therickwagnershow.com and find a lot of these stories and tons of links to the uh, more conservative, or I would like to say correct, news sites and uh, some things that I highlight and a few things like that. So uh, knock yourself out. I really appreciate it. And this week is, uh, well, something sort of good happened. By the way, I hope you had a great week and that uh, I understand, you know, I mean, the weather's been a little dodgy. You know, we go through uh, four seasons, sometimes in one day here in western Colorado. So you guys know what I'm talking about. But uh, and you have a great weekend, too. I want all of you to have a good one. But we did uh, sort of dodge something uh, this week, and uh, some of you have been following this pretty carefully, and this is this so-called assault weapons ban in uh, in our state legislature in Colorado. For those of you that don't live in Colorado, uh, you know, unless you live in California, Illinois, Washington, or a couple other states, uh, you're probably lucky when it comes to legislatures. And they had a uh, introduced late in the session because, uh, you know, our session here is limited and I'm beginning to think it ought to be limited to every other year for one week. But anyway, uh, they had House Bill, let's see, 1230, the assault weapons ban. In case you're wondering what it what it said, it would have banned semi-automatic rifles that accept a detachable magazine, along with modifications such as a pistol grip, a detachable stock, a flash suppressor, a grenade launcher. That'll be interesting. And anything that pretty much has a collapsible stock on it of some sort. A semiotic rifle with a fixed large capacity magazine, so they want to make sure that you just couldn't have a large capacity magazine on there, I guess if somebody spot welded it on. Or a semi-automatic pistol with the same list of possible modifications, which you may notice if uh, you're familiar at all with the ATF rules, that a lot of those modifications that they're discussing that are legally on a sporting rifle or an AR or an AK or a variety of those types of rifles are, in fact, already uh, illegal under ATF rules if you have to put on a pistol. Um, and so, obviously, someone has done a lot of their research there. They also worked on trying to ban semi-automatic shotguns that have the same modifications, so pistol grips and so forth. And uh, let's see, anything that can accept belt ammunition, feeding device, or a semi-automatic firearm modified to be operable as an assault weapon is defined in the bill. So they're trying to catch it from all sides. What they've really done is they really, under this definition, created kind of a strange thing where there's a couple of, Parts when you read it in there, you think, well, that's just kind of like a judgment call, isn't it? I mean, um, you got a couple of these pieces and you modified something else entirely. Uh, you know, it, as usual with these things, it was a mess. But I was pretty concerned about it, uh, as I know a lot of you were. And it finally did, in fact, get voted down, let's see, I think Thursday morning, geez, in the uh, House panel. And three Democrats, let's see, I'll tell you who they are, because I think it's Bob Marshall of Highlands Ranch, uh, Saeed Sharbini of Westminster, and Mark Snyder of Calder Springs joined with Republicans to vote down the, uh, to vote this in, the, uh, in committee to be tabled indefinitely. All right. And uh, that also drew someone else. Let's see, Lindsey Dougherty of Arvada also joined that group. There was a 15-hour hearing that started on Wednesday, and it drew a uh, record for 2023 session of 522 witnesses trying to testify, you know, mostly against this, I think. Um, there was, of course, people in favor of it. 
it's just it was just crazy. And but here's the thing: is the vote to uh, table it indefinitely was seven to six, and that's with the Democrats joining them. So it gives you some idea of how dicey this the legislature is in terms of voting here in Colorado. Some of you in other states, if you're listening, you might have that same issue where, at best, your rights are are spinning on the edge of a, a cliff based on like one or two votes. And it's not a very safe way to be. I think that all the people against it and this and that managed to sway a couple of folks there. But it you can't guarantee that every session. We've got to get more sensible people about these issues in our legislative bodies. Uh, this was a this was a mess of a bill, as as I said, and you know you can tell by listening to the half of the. And this is not all of it. I mean, it's very long. It's like thirteen pages or something. Um, bill that discusses you know all of these things about that. And one of the sponsors actually, uh, at the very last, tried to amend it so that it only was to get rid of bump stocks. So they also had a thing in there about trigger activators and stuff too. And you know, it was very very. Uh, contentious and and sneaky in some ways, and some of the testimony is just kind of bizarre. Particularly anybody that knows anything about firearms again, and this this just comes out all the time. Uh, Denver District Attorney Beth McCann, so that she prosecutes, and I'm reading this from uh, the Denver Gazette. By the way, this is a quote from her. So I go to homicide scene and see the terrible results of injuries caused by handguns. But at least with handguns, there's an entry wound and an exit wound, and the body is generally intact of those small wounds. So a person is killed with an assault weapon, the body is essentially blown apart. Now, this is very Biden-esque, isn't it, when he's talked about how a 9 millimeter blew the lungs out of the human body? Okay? Which is really not true. And wildly inaccurate and in, in demonstrating a knowledge of not having a knowledge of a whole bunch of different things. And then one of the people from uh, the Gun Owners for Safety Group, there's always one of those groups, said assault weapons are designed for killing, not for self-defense. Now, I thought that was an interesting thing to say. That's also from the Denver Gazette. Let's think about that phrase for a minute. Assault weapons are designed for killing, not for self-defense. All weapons, any weapon designed to inflict damage, or it's not a weapon. And ultimately, all firearms are designed, I think at some level, to kill what they're shooting at. doesn't mean you have to, but they're designed to be able to do that. It's a strange thing. And you start to hear this a lot from these guys. Oh, assault weapons are only good for killing. All firearms are lethal. All firearms, even well, 22s have killed people all the time, so I don't, I don't know why I would say that, but uh, the lethality of them is what makes them protective, right? If something is not lethal or dangerous at some level even, it's not much good for self-defense. Also, this thing about assault weapons blowing people apart, uh, certainly the wounds from certain calibers of rifles are more explosive, if you want to call it that, and that's not really true because these not exploding bullets and things like they're saying. They can they deliver more kinetic energy because the round itself is moving at a higher speed and in many cases is a heavier object. It's just physics. And you don't have to have an assault weapon to have a serious wound from 
a round, any rifle round. Uh, they might be interested, for instance, in looking what would happen after, uh, you know, something was struck with a forty-five seventy round, which has been around for a very long time. No pun intended about the around, but I believe that was a military round. And you guys out there, many of you will know this because I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head. I believe it's been around since the uh, 1870s in some form or another. You guys could probably, you know, let me, you know, you guys are going to know more than me about it. But, you know, it's been around a very long time, and it's a very destructive round. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the weapons used, say, in the Civil War, if you want to go back and read about the introduction of the mini ball with 68 caliber rounds and this and that and the terrible wounds those things inflicted, this is not a new thing. And... Uh, r- the only reason a rifle of some sort uh, is able to do that is because it chambers usually a larger round and it has higher velocity. This whole tearing people apart is usually, I mean, there could be some grievous wounds. Let's let's admit that. A shotgun in anything like a close distance delivers a even more grievous wound. But it's not really what we're talking about. It's It's a strangely hysterical approach to these things. And th- a lot of times the people that are making these claims are just making them because they want to sound, you know, shocking. And then other people pick that up who don't know any difference one way or another and carry that around and say it, and pretty soon it becomes prevailing ideas without anybody really chatting. Well, hello again, everybody. Rick Wagner here, getting it right on KNZZ, KGLN, all of West of Colored Eastern Utah. We appreciate your listenership, of course. I always like to say that. We're at 1192.7 on KNZZ and uh, 980 and 101.3 on KGLN, and all over the Internet and uh, other places, and, of course, podcasts, which you can download from a lot of places. Uh, you can ask for it on your uh, Amazon device if you have one, or you can uh, go to our website at therickwagnershow.com and find a lot of these stories and tons of links to the uh, more conservative, or I would like to say correct, news sites and uh, some things that I highlight and a few things like that. So uh, knock yourself out. I really appreciate it. And this week is, uh, well... Something sort of good happened. By the way, I hope you had a great week and that uh, I understand, you know, the weather's been a little dodgy. You know, we go through uh, four seasons, sometimes in one day here in western Colorado. So you guys know what I'm talking about. But uh, and you have a great weekend, too. I want all of you to have a good one. But we did uh, sort of dodge something uh, this week. And uh, some of you have been following this pretty carefully. And this is this so-called assault weapons ban in uh, in our state legislature in Colorado, for those of you that don't live in Colorado, uh, you know, unless you live in California, Illinois, Washington, or a couple other states, uh, you're probably lucky when it comes to legislatures. And they had a uh, introduced late in the session because, uh, you know, our session here is limited. And I'm beginning to think it ought to be limited to every other year for one week. But anyway, uh, they had House Bill, let's see, 1230, the assault weapons ban. In case you're wondering what it what it said, it would have banned semi-automatic rifles that accept a detachable magazine, along with modifications such as a pistol grip, a detachable stock, a flash suppressor, a grenade launcher. That'll be interesting. And anything that pretty much has a collapsible stock on it of some sort. A semi-automatic rifle with a fixed large-capacity magazine, so they want to make sure that you just couldn't have a large-capacity magazine on there, I guess if somebody had spot-welded it on. Or a semi-automatic pistol with the same list of possible modifications which you may notice if uh, you're familiar at all with the ATF rules, that a lot of those modifications that they're discussing that are legally on a sporting rifle or an AR or an AK or a variety of those types of rifles are, in fact, already 
uh, illegal under ATF rules if you have to buy a pistol. Um, and so, obviously, someone has done a lot of the research there. They also worked on trying to ban semi-automatic shotguns that have the same modifications, so pistol grips and so forth. And uh, let's see, anything that can accept belt ammunition, feeding device, or a semi-automatic firearm modified to be operable as an assault weapon is defined in the bill. So they're trying to catch it from all sides. What they've really done is they really, under this definition, created kind of a strange thing where there's a couple of parts when you read it in there, you think, well, that's just kind of like a judgment call, isn't it? I mean... Um, you got a couple of these pieces, and you modified something else entirely. Uh, you know, it, as usual with these things, it was a mess. But I was pretty concerned about it, uh, as I know a lot of you were. And it finally did, in fact, get voted down. Let's see, I think Thursday morning, geez, in the uh, House panel, and three Democrats. Let's see, I'll tell you who they are because I think it's Bob Marshall of Highlands Ranch. Uh, Saeed Sharbini of Westminster and Mark Snyder of Calder Springs joined with Republicans to vote down the, uh, to vote this in the, uh, in committee to be tabled indefinitely. All right. And, uh, that also drew someone else. Let's see. Lindsey Dougherty of Arvada also joined that group. There was a 15 hour hearing that started on Wednesday and it drew a uh, record for 2023 session of 522 witnesses trying to testify, you know, mostly against this, I think. Um, there was, of course, people in favor of it. It's just, it was just crazy. And, but here's the thing is, the vote to uh, table it indefinitely was seven to six. And that's with the Democrats joining them. So it gives you some idea of how dicey this the legislature is in terms of voting here in Colorado. Some of you in other states, if you're listening, you might have that same issue where, at best, your rights are are spinning on the edge of a, a cliff based on, like, one or two votes. And it's not a very safe way to be. I think that all the people against it and this and that managed to sway a couple of folks there. But it you can't guarantee that every session. We've got to get more sensible people about these issues in our legislative bodies. Uh, this was a this was a mess of a bill, as, as I said, and you know you can tell by listening to the half of the. And this is not all of it. I mean, it's very long. It's like thirteen pages or something. Um, bill that discusses you know all of these things about that. And one of the sponsors actually, uh, at the very last, tried to amend it so that it only was to get rid of bump stocks. So they also had a thing in there about trigger activators and stuff too. And you know it was very very. Uh, contentious and and sneaky in some ways, and some of the testimony is just kind of bizarre. Particularly anybody that knows anything about firearms again, and this this just comes out all the time. Uh, Denver District Attorney Beth McCann said that she prosecutes, and I'm reading this from uh, the Denver Gazette. By the way, this is a quote from her. So I go to homicide scene and see the terrible results of injuries caused by handguns. But at least with handguns, there's an entry wound and an exit wound, and the body is generally intact of no small wounds. So a person is killed with an assault weapon, the body is essentially blown apart. Now, this is very Biden-esque, isn't it, when he's talked about how a 9 millimeter blew the lungs out of the human body? Okay? Which is really not true. And wildly inaccurate and in, in demonstrating a knowledge of not having a knowledge of a whole bunch of different things. 
And then one of the people from uh, the Gun Owners for Safety Group, there's always one of those groups, said assault weapons are designed for killing, not for self-defense. Now, I thought that was an interesting thing to say. That's also from the Denver Gazette. Let's think about that phrase for a minute. Assault weapons are designed for killing, not for self-defense. All weapons, any weapon designed to inflict damage, or it's not a weapon. And ultimately, all firearms are designed, I think at some level, to kill what they're shooting at. Doesn't mean you have to, but they're designed to be able to do that. It's a strange thing. And you start to hear this a lot from these guys. Oh, assault weapons are only good for killing. All firearms are lethal. All firearms, even well, 22s have killed people all the time, so I don't, I don't know why I would say that, but uh, the lethality of them is what makes them protective, right? If something is not lethal or dangerous at some level even, it's not much good for self-defense. Also, this thing about assault weapons blowing people apart, uh, certainly the wounds from certain calibers of rifles are more explosive, if you want to call it that, and that's not really true because these not exploding bullets and things like they're saying. They, can, they deliver more kinetic energy because the round itself is moving at a higher speed and in many cases is a heavier object. It's just physics. And you don't have to have an assault weapon to have a serious wound from a round, any rifle round. Uh, they might be interested, for instance, in looking what would happen after, uh, you know, something was struck with a 4570 round, which has been around for a very long time. Now, pun intended about the around, but I believe that was a military round. And you guys out there, many of you will know this because I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head. I believe it's been around since the, uh, 1870s in some form or another. You guys could probably, you know, let me, you know, you guys are going to know more than me about it. But, you know, it's been around a very long time and it's a very destructive round. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the weapons used, say, in the Civil War, if you want to go back and read about the introduction of the mini ball with 68 caliber rounds and this and that and the terrible wounds those things inflicted, this is not a new thing. And the only reason a rifle of some sort is able to do that is because it chambers usually a larger round and it has higher velocity. This whole tearing people apart is usually, I mean, there could be some grievous wounds. Let's let's admit that. A shotgun in anything like a close distance delivers a even more grievous wound. But it's not really what we're talking about. It's, it's a strangely hysterical approach to these things. And th- a lot of times the people that are making these claims are just making them because they want to sound, you know, shocking. And then other people pick that up who don't know any difference one way or another and carry that around and say it, and pretty soon it becomes prevailing ideas without anybody really challenging. All right, everybody, we're back. Thanks for sticking around here with us. I certainly appreciate it. We are going to talk a minute here about uh, the confused world we live in. Now, that's not exactly a surprise to anybody, but I was thinking about this. I mean, it's it seems like, and there's a lot of anxiety, and don't think that anxiety about things you read and see on television and newspaper. I don't read newspapers anymore, but, uh, you know, on online and the occasional good magazine you might get. Uh, I recommend the American Spectator, for instance. And you think, 
what the, who the, what the, you know, you have this sort of miasma going on in your head anymore. And you know things are being handled poorly, but, you know, it's more than that. And it also is layered on with the idea that any kind of values associated with the United States of America seem to be degraded, right? And they seem to be uh, something that needs to be eliminated by the administration and the people that are in charge right now, at least in charge of most of the stuff. And you, but there's still another another flavor to it. We had a lot of that during Obama. We knew that his commitment to the United States as a country that he was fond of was pretty pretty low, right? I mean, he had a passing interest in the United States, and beyond that, it was just a vehicle for him to uh, do something on the world stage and change everything. And he wasn't really a big fan of the United States, actually. I'm, I'm not even sure it's, it was a neutral position. And it was American president. I, he was probably one of the least interested in America as pushing America forward and in our interests as a president we may have ever had. But it's still, it was done a little better. I think this is the difference. He had people in there that were terrible for the country, but they were at least sneakier about it and a little more competent about what they were doing. What we have now is not only the same level, if not more, of people who don't care about the country, would like to see it change to the point where it isn't even recognizable, but they're incredibly incompetent. And so not only are they doing all of these things we don't like, but they're doing them in a hackneyed, bizarre way that's, that they can't even hide, even if they want to. And they're also falling backward into just one problem after another because in attempting to do these things, they're also having one unintended consequence after another. Now, some of these bad consequences are intended, but a lot of them, even if they wanted them to happen, they didn't want them to happen now. And they don't understand it. And something about looking at uh, Anthony Blinken, the scared Secretary of State that we have, and his expression on his face lots of times when he's discussing things with world leaders or, for that matter, taking any kinds of questions that makes him want to look like he's bolting for the exit all the time, sort of sums it up. It is is this idea that, that, that they everything they do doesn't go quite like they want it to. Even when they, they get their way, it, it doesn't go right. And it's because they just aren't very good. And that's even scarier or more frightening to be less colloquial. Because at least someone who's a dedicated Marxist, uh, someone, I don't even think it's Marxist. We don't have Marxism here, for gosh sakes. I mean, I shouldn't even say that. We talk about the people being communists or Marxists and stuff. Jeez, they're not that organized. If you look, if you try and figure out what their manifesto is for something, if you're speaking of communism, uh, you can't even hardly nail it down. It's a bunch of different things. It's like if you went into a wood shop someplace and just took random pieces of wood that you like the looks of and just hammered them together randomly and, and said, there it is. And no one in the world could figure out what it, what it was. It wasn't good. It wasn't well made. It had served no good purpose, but you still couldn't identify what it was supposed to be. This is kind of what, what it feels like. And that, I think, is one of the reasons we all feel this extra sense of anxiety about this stuff, right? Is that it? It's we're not only in the hands of people who don't care about the country, don't want the country to even resemble what it did 10 years ago even, but they're so bad at it that it makes you even nervous. You think, well, it's, it's terrible what they're doing on purpose, but I'm really bothered by what, what they're going to do by accident. And, of course, the most glaring example of that is the situation in Ukraine, isn't it? In Ukraine, we have this 
well, it's a, it's a disaster, really. It's a disaster for everybody, and it's heartbreaking to watch war of any sort. And let's let's not kid ourselves. War has never been anything but a terrible, terrible, destructive force. Unfortunately, it's necessary sometimes, as we know. If you're not ready to defend things, you might as well just give them away and save the trouble. So you get war. And there aren't any real rules in it. There's just what the other side will put up with without responding. Right? We, we talk about, oh, well, you know, the Geneva Convention and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, that's made up. It's like when somebody says, it's against international law. Really? Really? Things are barely against the law in the United States. <laughs> what what international law are you talking about? The international law are, is what people who win wars decide it is. There's, there's, there's no, like, uh, international legislature that means a darn thing. And the rules they generate are just vehicles for people to use to beat other sides over the head with it. It's not like the law inside of a sovereign nation, which, of course, is disappearing in ours. So... War is going to be a terrible thing, and obviously the war in Ukraine and, the, and between Ukraine and Russia is. And these are also parts of the world where war has always been a terrible meat grinder. I mean, it is anyway. But the Soviet Union, as we've talked about many times before, has always had a tradition of just throwing a lot of people at things and just keeping it up and grinding away. And that makes for horrific circumstances. It also is for horrific circumstances on people on the other side because the fighters that are coming at them are ill-trained, ill-disciplined, and sometimes drugged from prisons and every other place. So you can imagine what happens on the other end of battles like that. The Ukrainians, of course, are trying to fight for their, with, with their country, even though their country has not existed a particularly long time. If I remember right, I think we've talked about it here before, Ukraine has existed as a country, I think this is about 1995. But it's still their homeland. And so they're fighting for it, and, and that's one of the reasons we kind of like to support them, but we certainly like to know what's going on. But this bumbling way we have in the United States of just throwing weapons in there and training and essentially fighting a proxy war without really knowing where we're going, this sort of makes Vietnam look like an organized situation. We, we, don't, we don't know what we're doing. No one can say, well, what does victory look like? This is always should be the question that you ask anytime you have any kind of military engagement or, or really any kind of fight, right? I don't even mean a physical fight. Even if you're having a courtroom battle, well, what do we want to win if we go to court? What do we want to win if we go to battle? What's, what's it look like at the end of the day if we're successful? What do we call success? I haven't heard anybody articulate that. I mean, you get vague stuff like, well, the Soviets out of Ukraine. Well, Soviet, excuse me, the Russians out of Ukraine. Okay, uh, some of them have been there since 2014, I think. And if that's the case, that seems kind of a far-fetched situation, and it's really going to be pushing the kind of war that I'm not sure that people want, including maybe even some of the people in the Ukraine, because you can't just fight in your own country when things like this happen, especially if you want to push people out that have been you know, building bases and establishing themselves since 2014, you're going to have to do what everybody who even studies war at all understands is war isn't just won by on the battlefield with bullets, swords, or cannons, or catapults. 
it is also war won in wartime by logistics, supply of food, supply of ammunition, as we're finding out in our country when we, we just keep shipping it all over there, what's happening to our reserves. Not only the amount you have, but the transportation of those materials to the front line. If you want to see a good example of how that works in our own country, you can go back and look at the Civil War. One of the things that the Union did that was really disruptive to the Confederate cause was they cut off a lot of their supply lines. Now, this isn't you know something that doesn't happen all the time, but they had a limited amount of railroad supply lines in the South. And, of course, the North, being more manufacturing-oriented, had more. And so one of the points that the Union Army tried to do, particularly when you're talking about things that uh, Sheridan, uh, Sherman, and, of course, directed by Grant, was destroy the supply lines. And that doesn't necessarily mean the supplies themselves, although they certainly did that. How do you get them there? Well, in the South, just like in the North at the time, a lot of the supplies, especially the large supply systems like food and ammunition and cannons, stuff like that, move more effectively by rail. So destroying the rail system destroyed a lot of the logistics, which isolated a lot of fighting units in terms of it destroyed their ability to fight very effectively. They didn't have ammunition, they didn't have food, they didn't have things like that, right? Same thing happens here. If you're going to ask the Ukrainians to push the Russians out and do this and that, you're going to have to ask them to to attack supply lines. And those supply lines, because of the proximity of the Russian border, a lot of them are going to be in Russia. And what we're seeing here, and you people hear this discussion about this all the time, is the way you do that, of course, is you send missiles and so forth uh, across the border to try and destroy, you know, supply depots, railroad lines, roadways, stuff like that. Well, these are weapons that we're supplying to the Ukrainians that they're using to do this. And, of course, the Ukrainians are starting to be accused, and we don't know really the truth of this, at least we don't. I'd like to think our intelligence agencies, though, but uh, what we've seen out of their intelligence agencies, they're a lot more interested in investigating you, Catholic churches, and people who make comments on uh, Twitter than they are really doing their other job, which is protecting the country. But at the same time... They're being accused, you know, of, of penetrating with uh, military personnel into Russia. At some point, when you're using our weapons, our equipment, and, he, and the Ukrainians are starting to push into the Soviet, so I can't get rid of the Soviet Union, I'm sorry, into Russia, it creates this problem that a lot of commentators talk about, like how long are they going to put up with it? I mean, it is it is a war not just between Russia and Ukraine, but it's becoming increasingly a war between Russia, Ukraine, United States, and to some extent, the European, some of the countries in the European Union. Although they haven't exactly stepped up and given too much, Germany's given some, France a little bit, Great Britain's probably given the most, uh, but we're way ahead of everybody else. Not only in terms of equipment, but money, money we don't know exactly where it's going. We just like to know that, right? Just show us, and the fact that. Congress, with the Democrats, keep cutting off every effort by Republicans to send some sort of inspector general type operation into the Ukraine to see where the money's going. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, or if it does make a sense, a sense it's it's nefarious. But why wouldn't you want to know that? Why don't you want somebody on the ground over there, or certainly near to there, that's studying to see when we send money, what does it buy, where does it go, 
and who gets it? And is there any, you know, connection between some of these, uh, oligarchs? Apparently you can only be a Russian oligarch. Isn't that interesting? Uh, in Ukraine and, uh, things are buying outside of the country. Like, where's that money coming from? There's not exactly a thriving industry in that country, except maybe some arms and some food, but there's not exactly, you know, people making a lot of money in traditional businesses in Ukraine. So how are these, where's this guy's money coming from? We don't seem to be interested in that. It seems to me like we ought to be really interested in that. Since it's our money, we're setting it for a particular purpose, but he gets cut off every time. So the whole thing is dangerous. Hard to define how much of it is to our own personal interest and wildly inept. And so when you look at that stuff, and then you look at what's going on with the economy, you look at people like Janet Yellen as the Secretary of Treasury, you look at some of these nominees, look at the Education Secretary, you look at Mayorkas, who's trying to run Department of Homeland Security. I think he's doing a great job. I mean, not for our homeland, but whichever country he's working for, he must be doing a good job for him because he's certainly wrecking ours. And you look around and you just have this kind of, it's a very anxious feeling. I don't think it's healthy for a lot of citizens because it, it's, it's reckless and careless and not thought out. And it's one run by people who don't seem to have any expertise in the things they're running. And we, and it pops up really obviously that Granholm, this energy secretary, I'm not sure she knows how to put gas on a car. Assuming she drives one, probably not. She probably, I'm not sure she knows how to plug it in. I'm sure she has an electric car. I don't know, you know what? I bet she doesn't. Not she drives very much, or her driver drives around very much. Or you look at these others, and so it's like the people are at the wheel purposely want to do things we're not crazy about. We don't want them to do, and they but they have the wheel, and they're really poor drivers. So they're taking you someplace you don't want to go, and the sense you have as you're riding in this back seat feeling is that not only they're taking you someplace you don't want to go. But they're very likely to crash into something else on the way there. So that's one of the reasons I think that people feel so much anxiety. I certainly feel it. There are many days when I realize that a lot of my generalized anxiety that pops up is from just reading too much about what's going on. Because I try to keep up on things and, you know, so we can discuss things on the show and do things like that and put some stuff out when we're doing videos and whatnot. And some days I think it's just too much. I think it contributes to this general feeling of anxiety, like the whole world is out of control. At least our world is out of control, and a lot of the rest of the world is out of control, too, for that matter. So if you're feeling that, I think that's a big part of it. And one way to get around that, I think to be a happier, better person, better in terms to yourself, is to take a little quiet time once in a while. Now, in the past, I've recommended, and I still think this is a good idea, Watch something different on TV for a while. Go find one of these old channels on cable, if you have cable, or if not, on your computer or wherever, and watch, uh, you know, a Gunsmoke episode made in 1966, or an old Gilligan's Island, or whatever else you kind of like. Something that has no political component to it whatsoever. Just try and cleanse your mind. Get something that's clean, you know, an old-fashioned Western, a comedy, an old Dick Van Dyke show, whatever. <laughs> you know, something that doesn't remind you of anything that's going on. Sort of clean your palate with that. And then also, just take a little walk once in a while. I mean, 10 minutes. And just try and order what you're thinking about is going on in your life. And then think about how that's going to fit in with the things that are closest to you. And I think that's very important. You know, one of the things we talk about here is 
how we have so much going on in our local politics and our state politics that seem to get kind of ignored. And that's because there's this constant state of shock and disappointment on the national scene. That's we get bombarded with it all the time. And it's crept into the local scenes. And we don't even hardly know it until we look around and we find out, where are my taxes so high? Where did that huge building come up that the government put up that, you know, I heard that it cost, you know, $70 million. And I think it probably ought to cost $40 million. And I'm not sure we needed to begin with. I mean, those things that pop up. And how did that happen? Well, it's because we're just bombarded with national stuff all the time, national stuff that we need to know about. But it blasts out of the things. And I think it makes us unhappy. I know it works with me that way sometimes. I think you have to be aware of that. And you want to be a happy warrior, as Ronald Reagan would say. And I think that's, that is important. You have to have some optimism about things or you don't want to do anything and you don't want to fight back. You just want to sit there and let things happen. If you don't have some optimism to this stuff and that's a driving force towards success, right? Some degree of optimism. And if you just get inundated with this stuff all the time, it's hard to maintain those things. We have a very resilient country. Now, I'm not going to promise you that unless we take action here and, you know, start doing things that make sense and get ourselves pulled together, that we're going to see it in a situation or an appearance that we would recognize in 10 years. Maybe maybe less. I mean, look how fast there are things in the news right now that you wouldn't have thought been in the news at all three years ago. And we have small slices of society that have huge amounts of power. And you look at it and you go, how did this happen? And we talk about a couple of these movements out there. Well, it's because one side of the political spectrum sees it as a vehicle to get votes, to get support, and more importantly, to use as a cudgel, you know, a big stick to whack their opponents with because they find these groups that are extremely loud, extremely, uh, you know, I want to say eccentric, but, uh, no, probably, probably more than that. They're, they're probably on the edge of being disruptive. Sometimes they're more than disruptive. And those groups are very intimidating to a lot of other people. The silent majority, as, as it were. Shouted down, scared, hunted, you know. There can be a hundred of you out there that are, you know, want to be left alone and don't really agree with things, but don't care. But if you're harassed and chased down by just 10 on a regular basis, it wears you down. So they see these people sort of as shock troops and they want to keep their good graces so they can continue to be disruptive, which, which the left thinks helps its cause. So your ability to sort of stand there and sort of smile at it and see the, uh, ridiculousness of it is important. Doesn't mean you don't want to, you know, struggle back and straighten things out, but you have to see the innate ridiculousness of it and not be intimidated. And that's hard to do if the whole situation builds up all this anxiety and eventually depression about stuff. So you have to reorder your thoughts and understand the one phrase that probably is more important than any, and that's this too shall pass. Now, we don't want it to pass into a situation that we really don't like, but Everything changes every moment, and there's nothing but this moment. Right? Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here. We don't know. And it's so easy to get caught up into our imagination and the things that's going to happen out there and what if this, what if that. I do it all the time. And it's not psychologically very healthy, and we're getting 
beat up all the time with this nonsense and it brings you down. Don't get brought down. I know you people, you're resilient, you have grit, and you are the makers, right? And people that make things and do things understand that there's always a way that you can make something that works, you can modify something, because you have experience doing that. You don't spend your whole life, you know, in a meeting on K Street in D.C. trying to figure out how to subvert the tax code so that you can get people to do what you want. You understand there's more to life than that. So hang on to that. I think that's incredibly important. And in the future, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we can lay the groundwork now. And the groundwork is going to have to be with you guys standing up and saying, well, we're not going to do that anymore, and I'm going to start taking steps to make that happen, to change things around or help put the brakes on stuff. And I'm going to do it in a pleasant way so that I feel good about it. You folks are special out there. This, who people I'm talking to right now are the backbone of this country. And if you get up every day and say that to yourself and know it to be true, you'll have a lot more confidence and you'll feel a lot better about things that are happening because you know you're able to straighten things out. See you next week.